Welcome to the Unblocking Crypto Podcast. This podcast is not financial advice. It's meant for entertainment purposes only. These are just the opinions of a couple of rambling wrecks. Welcome back to episode number 69 of Unblocking Crypto. Slower week with the holiday, long holiday weekend, Hal, but welcome back and glad as always to discuss the craziness going on in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good to be back. So let's let's definitely start out with the debt ceiling. We're what T minus a week away from Congress officially having a deadline to make a bill before the US theoretically goes into debt. There has been some recent news from Kevin McCarthy and Biden talking about a deal has been made. Do you want to kind of run down a brief of what you found out? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, they keep talking about all the things that are in it and what's what it means. So I, I kind of went through a couple of different news sources because depending on who writes the article, they leave things out. The funny thing was this debt ceiling agreement doesn't increase the debt ceiling by X trillion dollars. It just says we're not going to have a ceiling until January of 2025. And to help kind of limit spending, federal spending on non-defense is flat for from basically going to take 2023's budget and move it across to 2024. Uh, I'm sorry, 2022's budget moved to 23, and then 23's budget is going to be the same as 24. So basically, government spending flat through this debt ceiling deal, and then defense can go up like 3%. Uh, with inflation being 6 8%, that's kind of, a, kind of a cut, which I don't know that we've seen that in a long time. But the funny thing is... Without a debt limit, they can just pay their interest rate, interest expense, regardless of what happens to the interest expense. So that kind of allows them, at least legally, to pay whatever they need to pay and raise interest rates, whatever they need to raise them to. Uh, it doesn't help them lose bond ratings and things like that if our interest expense climbs and goes above tax receipts. You know, if we combine defense and entitlements and interest expense and it goes above tax receipts technically we're insolvent so there are reasons why you can't just raise the interest rate as high as you want to in order to beat inflation but but it's kind of a funny debt ceiling to not have a no ceiling like that's lazy but um just but yeah. like kicking the can down the road and not addressing it once again <laughs> yeah uh, yeah basically all you read about like they're patting themselves on the back for getting COVID funds, unspent COVID funds back, $30 billion worth of funds that weren't spent on COVID. But like there's COVID, they, you know, it's like it's over. So they declared it's over. So 30 billion bucks is coming back instead of they just let it, you know, they just spend it on unnecessary stuff. So congratulations to the government for not wasting 30 billion, I guess, or for not wasting 30 billion on COVID and getting it back so they can waste it somewhere else. Well, thirty billion compared to what the spending cap right now is thirty one point six trillion. So, what is that a thousand x difference? <laughs> yeah, from a debt standpoint, it doesn't like even if they said, you know, what, we're going to take that thirty billion and we're going to pay down some debt. The debt wouldn't know it. It, it would be that I, that's under a month's worth of worth of, of of excess spending that we currently have. So yeah, that's it's not a, it doesn't matter. But everybody likes to think that it matters, and apparently most people in the public can't understand the difference between a million, a billion, and a trillion. 
So <laughs> they just it just feels like a lot. Yeah, it's like a minor blip that all of a sudden the next month just gets eaten away completely yeah. again based on how much we're spending. So well. right, but yeah, by the time by the time this debt ceiling limit passes, we will have accrued more than thirty billion dollars worth of additional debt. So it it's wildly <laughs> insignificant. You know, other stuff. You know, it's all ticky tack stuff. They put in a. They increase the work requirement from fifty years old to fifty four years old for for SNAP recipients. So if you're if you don't have kids, you have to you have to be trying at least trying to get a job for another four years to to get on food stamps. The IRS eighty billion for the IRS. That all that money stays. Expect more people to be audited. The, every article I read was so that they can go after tax cheat rich tax cheats rich tax cheats and i'm like rich people aren't cheating on taxes their accountants are finding the best way around paying taxes so like you want to change the tax law and change the tax rules then do it but more irs agents they'll probably go after people like that that aren't doing their taxes properly themselves but i don't i mean what are you going to do you're going to go take on pricewaterhouse coopers for family house in, investors like you're not going to you're not going to do that so i i think that 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 irs money it, it doesn't it's not going to do what they say it's going to do well did you see the the job openings in the irs for people that wanted to carry guns and be willing to do whatever the irs asked them to do like it's becoming more of a military force <laughs> than paper pushers yeah and like guess guess who you don't have to go after with armed irs agents like super wealthy people are you don't have to show up with the guns drawn super wealthy people will just tell their accountants to take a second look and make sure they did their taxes right yeah uh so yeah it's it's i find that to be nonsense this so the republicans wanted the student student loan relief to get pulled out um currently i think it's going to be up to the supreme court as to whether or not biden can even do the student loan relief program that he wants to do but it, so either way the student loan relief is inflationary, right? Because people aren't paying their student loans. Like throughout COVID, people stop paying their student loans and spend it on other things. Whereas once that student loan pause that they put in place ends, they'll go back to paying money into the, theoretically, they would go back to paying money to the federal government, which would theoretically pay down uh, those those loans and instead of going back into the economy. So it would be deflationary for people to start paying student loans back. So we'll see if that happens or not. But uh, but yeah, I mean it's it's one of those one of those tax uh, or one of those con- congressional bills where they put a bunch of words in articles and honestly they just said hey we're we're not going to spend much money over the next two years we'll let the other president deal with it and whatever the debt ceiling happens to be it can just go to the moon it doesn't we're not going to set a limit. Yeah, I did see that they did announce that that thirty percent tax on electricity for Bitcoin mining was going to be taken out of the discussion for this this next piece, right? So which I think is good right now. My view is the U.S. is falling behind in, in overall crypto, the story, and that definitely didn't help. So I'm the only positive thing out of all of this. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Jack Mallers kind of brought that up when he spoke at the Bitcoin conference when and moving the headquarters to El Salvador. You know, it was basically if, if the United States isn't going to be friendly, then he's going to move his company to somewhere that is. And so, you know, you get that a few times. It's not, I mean, the crypto company universe isn't, is pretty limited. So if your top 10 or 15 move on, you know, they're not going to move back because you, you know, 
decide to be friendly and they've built their company somewhere else, you know, then they got to move employees and all that. So I don't think, um, I don't think it's smart for the U S government to continue kicking the can on crypto regulations. I think they need to declare themselves at least like neutral because right now it's kind of hard to tell if they're going to be friendly, neutral, or if they're going to kind of be a, a, a tough jurisdiction to do work in. Yeah. I mean, I would say they're friendlier than China, <laughs> <laughs> but not as friendly as a lot of other ones. And kind of speaking to that point, you look at what's going on in a lot of other countries, Japan just came out and announced that they're going to move forward with their pilot program on CDBCs. So they are, I think one of 18 countries that have pilot programs going on. India is another one. Actually, China is one as well. I think there's 11 that already have launched their cdbcs bahamas and nigeria i think are the two that come to mind so there's still a ton of countries that are focused on that the us is kind of fighting it which i think is good just because of what it theoretically does from a privacy perspective they're trying to say that the us government can provide better financial services with a cdbc <laughs> which is almost kind of t- telling the banks that they've done a crappy job which I don't know if I disagree with that because look what, the, what they're doing with everything. <laughs> right. But it is, um, it will be interesting to see if the U.S. does actually come out and say we're leaning one way or the other. Yeah. I mean, it would be nice if they did kick that can down the road a little bit and get more people time to start to understand what maybe what the second and third derivative of a CBDC means as far as privacy and their ability to limit stuff. I mean, you know, the more time that goes is that occurs between us and like the trucker financial freeze in Canada and things like that, where governments are are enforcing what they want to happen through, you know, financial freezing people out of the financial industry. The worst. Right. Because people just forget that that even happened. Right. Because they're busy. And so I think I think people on the Bitcoin side will remember it. Maybe some of the more libertarian types will remember it. The people that already don't want a CBDC will remember that. Like the other 75% of the population that has no idea what's going on, they'll just do whatever they're told. Whatever the government says is the new money. That's, uh, you know, they'll just do it. So I think the the libertarian side needs more time to kind of explain like, oh, if, if they can control, if you don't spend your money in three months, then they can just knock 5% of your money and make it disappear. I think that 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 sort of thing might need to get into the hands of the other 75, 80% of the people that don't usually care about stuff. Yeah. Russia recently came out with some news speaking of another country that had some rights, I don't want to say rights, but had some issues taken away when the, the dollar was used as a weapon, right? During the whole Ukraine thing, Mm -hmm. they are originally, they were planning on doing a centralized crypto exchange that was pretty much a national crypto exchange run by by russia the good news is they've kind of changed their mind and instead of having a single location that they control they're going to actually write some rules on what needs to happen with it and have multiple ones out there so that sounds better right i guess it depends on what the rules end up being but it looks like they want sort of competition and capitalism kind of go on which is kind of weird from a (laughs) russian perspective sometimes but that will be just better for everyone involved if that's the case indonesia was also recently in the in the news indonesia 
crypto trading is actually legal in Indonesia, which is which is great. That's fantastic. The problem that Indonesia has is they don't want anybody to make payments using crypto because they're saying that their their actual official currency is their the Indonesian dollar, whatever that's called, the rule or something like that. So now if you are caught using crypto for payments in Indonesia, which in Bali, I think there's some tourists that have tried to do that. You face up to a $13,000 fine and up to a year in prison. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think when we were young, there was a guy who, like a, a kid was traveling to Indonesia and his, I don't know if he spray painted something or he did some kid, you know, stupid kid crime. And they were going to cane him. Do you remember this story? Yes. And so, like, Indonesia's not joking around about the consequences of breaking their laws when just because you're a tourist, you don't get a free pass. So, yeah, maybe, maybe don't go to Indonesia to spend your currency, but maybe Indonesia pays a price for that. <laughs> and maybe they don't see the, I mean, I know El Salvador's tourism is like grown a lot. They're not a tourism based country, but so maybe, maybe we'll see that kind of shift. And if you're not friendly to it, maybe it, it goes one way or the other. But I think, I think price escalation, like that's easy. That's an easier law to pass when price is down and everybody's kind of, everything's kind of quiet about, uh, about Bitcoin and crypto. So let it ramp back up in a year or two and, and see if that, that sticks. Yeah. Well, I think both, both you and I have had discussions about actually taking a trip to El Salvador. It just sounds kind of enticing these days. Yeah. Yeah. The flights aren't too expensive and then you can spend Bitcoin, which would be neat, but, um, yeah. It would be neater if Bitcoin was worth like triple what it is. <laughs> well, maybe in a year. Yeah. Uh, Ripple was also shoot. It's been in the news for quite some time. And what's interesting is if I if you walk away and take a different perspective other than what's going on with their lawsuit with the SEC, they have come out and said that they have a billion dollars of cash in the bank and that they want to expand their product offering outside of just payment services. So they are looking to acquire other companies to grow in the crypto space. And a billion dollars is a good amount of money. Now, hopefully they don't go down the path that FTX did and <laughs> use <laughs> fake money to buy all this stuff. <laughs> but I think that's the worry of everybody these days is the water has been tainted right now with other companies that have come in and said that's what they're trying to do too. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you're trying to do the stuff that FTX was doing now, I think you have a tougher time because money's just harder to get and, and due to interest rates, it's more expensive to get. So that does kind of help keep people honest right now. But, uh, but yeah, if that billion dollars is leveraged at, at half a percent or whatever it's, and it, it maybe it's still viewed as easy money. I don't know. I, I Ripple, I listened to them a bunch in 2017 and it sounded good and I listened to their CEO talk and he sounded like he was smart. And then they've just been mired in a lawsuit with the government for like at least two years. So, you know, I don't know what to think what's going to happen with them. Well, I think we should hopefully know here in a couple of weeks, the Hinman papers are coming out. I think next week or end of this week, one of the two. So we'll probably start seeing some more details from them in the near future. Genesis and Gemini were also in the news in their battles with the SEC. There was a, a filing from the SEC from both of those that said, hey, you guys, your earned product was a unregistered security. Genesis and Gemini have actually gone to the U.S. courts and asked for this entire filing to be dismissed. And they kind of explained that the reason being is the way that 
their whole investment contract, whatever it was, this earned product was set up. It actually did not turn, it was not an investment contract based on the laws of the US government. I'll be interested to see what the the courts do rule on this, because if that is the case, then that will be intriguing to see how it perflates through a lot of these other programs out there, Voyager being one and Celsius and a few others, how much clout the SEC has in going after some of those companies as well. Now, most of those are bankrupt, right? But uh, it'll be intriguing to see what the courts rule. On some positive news, uh, Bitwise has just come out and released they have three more crypto SMAs, which are separately managed accounts. So we've talked about these banks going down Silvergate and those companies where it was more difficult for institutions to get involved in crypto. This theoretically eliminates that or makes it easier. So it is only for institutions and accredited investors right now, but it does get them exposed to crypto with the use of a trusted fiduciary to help out and hold their money all that kind of good stuff so i'll be interested to see what happens there i think their expectation is this will kind of be better than what everybody else's thoughts on etfs are and things like that but it's exciting to see there's still other companies working on crypto traded accounts and managed funds yeah i don't know much about separately managed accounts but uh, I believe that you hold the asset. Like in an ETF, you hold a share of the ETF, which is broken up into various percentages of all the companies that are, are securities that it owns. But the separate managed accounts, like if it's a if it's a a Bitcoin Ethereum SMA, and you put in a thousand dollars, you end up with a thousand dollars of whatever the split is between Bitcoin and Ethereum, not a thousand dollars worth of shares of an SMA. So that way. From a from a keeping things honest standpoint, that SMA has to buy the Bitcoin and Ethereum. It's provable if they don't immediately, and then if they custody those th that crypto for the investor, then I mean that seems that seems like a bullish way to do this because a credit investor you're going to sit on it, right? You're going to buy it, hold it, and sit on it. So it just it takes some more more Bitcoin off of the off the exchanges and and puts it into long-term storage so i would think that i would think that if that picks up and if the sec or whatever doesn't step in and screw it up i would think that that approach would be would be bullish on price yep we talked about worldcoin a couple of weeks ago too about them getting up to 100 million dollars of funding well it officially did happen 115 million dollars of funding led by blockchain capital which is kind of interesting that it's almost like DCs are throwing money in this, thinking it's a great idea. It's definitely not a good idea. Yeah, yeah. It, it's frustrating that they're throwing kind of this money into things that's saying, hey, even if it's a bad idea, there's still a chance that it takes off. Yeah, so and we can make money on it. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. I mean, there's a lot of countries out there that WorldCoin has been kind of testing in, in like 24 different countries. And the MID Technology Review did some, te some interviews of the people that have already scan their irises to get some free world coin and what they're finding out is the privacy details that world coin is saying they're going to collect versus what they actually do collect are much different and they're they're asking for a lot more detail you know a lot more data and it, there's it's already created almost this black market in china for iris 
details so that people can go and scan the irises and get fake coins and do something with it. So a, a lot of what I think what they had almost described was that this world coin is kind of like a, a meme coin that somehow they want to base it on irises and use to pay for everything in the world. And no one really understands how that's going to happen. And it's already one of those Sam Altman's vision of it's completely free. We're going to do it all for free. And then kind of like we do with, with chat GPT is, uh, or open AI is say, okay, it's not free anymore. We want to charge for it. <laughs> right. So be, be very careful. I guess the, Maybe the, the thought here is that Michael Saylor has actually come out and said he believes that Bitcoin could be one of the solutions for decentralized identity. And one of the things that he was pointing at was Twitter and the number of bots that come on Twitter. And he's like, if you can use Bitcoin to make this financially unaffordable for people to, to use bots and do all of this, then it would be really intriguing. I think Polygon actually just released their version of a decentralized platform using ZK Proofs uh, a month or two ago. So there are much better solutions out there than scanning your irises, but I think it'll take some time for people to kind of realize what's going on. And hopefully at the end of the day, the right thing will win, <laughs> the, the best thing will win. Yeah, I mean, the, the, scanning your iris to get free crypto, it's that saying like if, if it's... Um, if it's on the internet and it's free, then then you're the product and your information is getting sold to other people. That would be just a natural progression of things in, in, in the malicious case. In a normal case, like Experian had a data breach, right? The, the people that look out for your credit, they like if they, if they store your iris data, your name and address and all these other, you know, know your customer stuff. They're a honeypot of for identity theft and like cyber crime. So, they'll just get hacked eventually so yeah it's just a, it just seems like a bad idea from this from jump street so uh, yeah so the other interesting thing to talk about is the bitcoin mining difficulty and i know we talked about that a few weeks ago as well but bitcoin just reached a new level for mining difficulty over 50 trillion that's the first time ever it just jumped up another what two and a half percent from not too long ago what's really intriguing is that this is all during kind of a bear market right so the the mining difficulty is going up. So there's a, a big disconnect in what the people using the Bitcoin network believe and what the price actually is today. Yeah, I mean, it seems like this round is different than previous cycles. We didn't have that single ramp up, blow off top and, and crazy uh, price escalation. We kind of had a little double top that, that was nothing like what we've seen in the past. And yeah, this mining difficulty or, or conviction from miners seems to be a lot stronger. So, so yeah, who knows what's going to happen? There's a company or a website called uh, Ecoin Metrics, and they like to overlay previous cycles. Um, so price cycles and hash rate cycles and things like that, basically starting at different points in the cycle, like from the bottom of the bear forward and from the peak price forward and things like that. And it, you know, the double top was different than and what we've seen in, in previous having cycles. But since the peak, it's looked a lot like what, what's happened in previous cycles. Like it, it dips, it like drops steeply, and then it kind of finds its feet under this new, finds a new floor. And then that's what, you know, you, you start to kind of work 
through all of the people that aren't strongholders over time they kind of sell that bitcoin and get out of it and then the uh more convicted bitcoin people are buying those and that that goes into long-term storage it takes coins off of the exchanges and so that sets the table for price to escalate when you get more hype because if you have more people trying to buy you have less available to sell price goes up yeah hopefully the takeaway is it still looks good it might be a rough path to get there but i think still long term it's going to do very well from a bitcoin perspective at least yeah yeah i I mean i don't see any reason to be bearish on bitcoin right now so speaking of being bullish since you were just talking about that i should mention Mm -hmm. nfts from a bullish perspective we talked uh man what was this a year ago reddit did their first nfts and they have probably been the one company that has had the most success so they just surpassed about 10 million nfts 10 million users now i think only seven or eight million of those are single wallet nfts right and maybe there's a bot issue in there somewhere too right but that's still pretty interesting that they've now done over 10 million nfts on reddit and they continue to kind of uh, to grow their nft presence so uh, it'll be intriguing to see how everybody else kind of follows i mean i know starbucks seems to be getting more and more involved in some of the nft space on theirs to get perks for buying coffee and all that kind of good stuff but it's it's here to stay right now how it changes is still to be determined and how it gets better but it is definitely still looking good long term yeah i mean reddit seems like a natural kind of sandbox for nfts because it's a pretty computery group so yeah that makes sense but yeah so that's all that i had on my end anything else we're missing i'm sure there's stuff we're missing but that's that's good for me perfect well hope you enjoyed the long holiday weekend and how we'll talk again next week all right sounds good jason see you all right same if all of these crypto conversations leave you with more questions and you're looking for answers I've created a product that dives into most of those answers, including why crypto, how to set up a cold wallet, and some of the more advanced strategies for dealing with crypto. Check the link in the notes below and hope to see you there.